morning. So, um, as Nada said, I actually, <laughs> I, I prepared a preach this morning, which I felt like God had laid on my heart. And then this morning in prayer time, I was thinking, I don't know if that's the right one. Um, so, I'm so sorry to the AV team. So, <laughs> you know what I did? During worship, I said, listen, can I give you about 10 different verses? And can we go a different... In fact, I said, you know what? Have those other ones ready, because I don't know which direction we're going. I'm so sorry. But they were champs. They really were. Um, and then Nardis and I were speaking at the beginning. And then uh, Renee McLeod came and, and brought a word. Um, Renee, can you just come quickly share what you, what you said to me? You'll see why. Um, so I've always had a problem with crowds. I think it's because I'm short. And I feel like everyone always hovers over me. And I don't have a problem to worship and feel the presence of the Lord standing there in the first or the second row or against the wall. But I always struggled to come to the middle. And I immediately looked up and I saw David. And I felt the Lord tell me to go stand between him and Hermione. And it was uncomfortable. But I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm here. And I immediately felt, just felt the Lord's presence like over me. And I immediately saw the woman with the issue of blood and how she scurled through the crowd. And it was uncomfortable for her. But she was so desperate for Jesus that she'd do anything just to touch the hem of his garment. And I just felt like, how desperate are we? Are we comfortable with the way that we worship? Because we're like, no, I feel Jesus in this way. Um, or are we willing to step out of our comfort zone because we're so desperate for more of Jesus? Can we just put our hands out with the Lord? I think that's like a moment. If we, if we just rush past it, we're going to miss what the Lord wants to do. So if you, Jesus, would you come? Lord, I pray that right now, if there's anyone here that just witnesses with what Renee shared right now, I pray this morning that as Dan shares Jesus, that you would touch. You would touch, and it would be as if they're reaching out to the hem of your garment. And I thought there is someone specifically here this morning that has been trying to reach out to the hem of his garment and saying, Lord, would you stop for me? I thought the Lord is going to do that this morning for you. Just don't grow weary of pushing through the crowd, pushing through the crowd to touch the hem of the one whose blood will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't give up. He's there. He's waiting for you. Don't give up. Come, Holy Spirit. Just say, even as we... Just in this place now, sense the Holy Spirit is coming to touch and to heal and restore, whatever it is. Maybe it's even mindsets, brokenness in the way you think, the way you, whatever it is. But tr the Lord is doing something supernatural right now. Just receive it from Him. Come, Jesus. I, I don't normally do this, but I do. I just, Clayton, Leanne, like God's, God's got his finger on you guys as a family. I know you knew you visited, and I've spent a bit of time with you this week, Clay. And so I just like this week, just spending the time with you, I just really sense that God's bringing you as a family into a place of restoration. 
that he's got his finger on so many things. And even as you've shared your heart, and even like how yesterday's run was refreshing for you, but feel God's going to take you into a place of wells of reliving water where you're going to find the presence of Jesus like never before. And your whole family is going to walk in a measure of that because you're a man who's pushing after God. You're putting behind the things of the world. You're turning around and you're going looking to Jesus. And even as Nick's brought that word about looking to Jesus, don't look at your feet. I mean, we know as, as runners, you know, you look at your feet and where you're going. But when we pick our perspective up and we look at him. And so just for the two of you, maybe we could, can I ask... If, are you guys okay if we just pray for you for a moment, Leanne? Here, I don't want to embarrass you guys. It's like too late now kind of thing. But I just, just maybe some of, the, some of the ladies. Tandy, would you just get there as well? I mean, just like some of you, you, you young girls as well. Just, just gather around the young guys, around the teenagers. Just Jesus, I pray right now for what you're doing in this family, Lord. I almost feel this morning specifically for you guys. Like, and that God just wants to reach down from heaven and touch you right now. And he's going to bring a fresh revelation for you as an entire family of what it means to experience the love of the Father. To experience the love of the Father. That he has kept you. He has held you in his hand over all these years. And he has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about you. He has remembered you. He has remembered your tears. He has seen your tears. And he's calling you back to him. Back to him. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that even as this morning, as you, you're pulling them out of the crowd in a sense, and you are the Father that says, wait, hang on a sec, stop. One of my, one of my children needs a moment that you would know and experience the love of the Father this morning in a supernatural way. The old is gone. The old is behind, the new, the new, the new, the new, the new revelation, new season, new fresh anointing of the Spirit of God. And I pray you would touch, Lord, you would anoint, even for the boys right now at school, that they would begin to experience you in an incredible way, Lord Jesus, that the power of God would be so evident in their lives that even their friends would look at them and go, what is going on? What is going on? Right now, I just pray blessing, and I pray just blessing upon blessing on this family. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Sorry, I wasn't expecting to do that for you, <laughs> but it's like sometimes we just got to stop a meeting and go, you know what? God's on something, and we need to run with it. So, Dan, preach away. Thanks, Chad. So I, uh, I just had someone else come to me and just say, you know what, that word resonated with me so much about how sometimes we find our security in something, yet we only really can lay hold of what God's plan and purpose is for us, his heart for us, if we let go of the things that are holding us back and step out into the more that God has. So I think that's probably where a lot of us are this morning, which is why it was really nice to hear that, because now I know which preach I'm going to be doing. Um, so before anything else, just a, a quick introduction. Uh, there's some visitors. You may not know me. Hello, I'm Dan. Um, I am originally from the UK, as you can tell from my accent, God Save the King. Um, we, uh, my wife and I, my wife Renee, um, she is South African. Um, and then I've got two boys who are somewhere scattered in here. Uh, one of them's British, one of them's South African. Um, but yes, it's very nice to be with you here this morning. So, I'm always here every Sunday morning. I'm here every Sunday morning, apart from when I'm not. Okay. So, um, 
this morning, I, I, I'm going to carry on with the, the, the patriotic theme. Um, how's it, Roland? Um, by, uh, by asking a question, who here has seen the movie Invictus? Who's seen Invictus? Okay, about half of you. All right. So, um, so it's a great movie. For those who haven't seen it, just to explain what it's about, it's about, um, it's this movie about that great South African leader, Morgan Freeman, who <laughs> inspires the heroic Springbok, Springbok captain, Matt Damon, to victory in the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Um, it makes you so proud to be an American. I mean, South African. Um, <laughs> But it is actually a very good movie. Um, but joking aside, it is quite thought-provoking because it's this, it's this story of kind of like a, a, a rising up of a nation and heroism, a, a nation that was in such turmoil, trying to find its goal and its purpose, and a great leader who could inspire another great leader to finally become all... It's, it's so inspiring. And um, the title, Invictus comes from a poem that was one of the favorite poems of Nelson Mandela. And this poem, actually, a lot of people have found it very inspiring. Um, it's a few verses. I'll just read you the first and the last verse. Okay, The first and the last verse of Invictus it says this. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Sounds deep, doesn't it? Ugh, sounds so profound. And we kind of hear that and we admire Nelson Mandela. And so we think, surely this is good advice. This is like good stuff. Um, we're masters of our own destiny, captains of our own fate. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to look at some of the fathers of the faith in the Bible. Um, and I'm going to see just how much they handled being captains of their own soul and masters of their own fate. Okay? So I'm going to go to a story in Mark chapter 4, 35 to 38. And it says this. That day, when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like they weren't so like, massively into being masters of their own fate, captains of their own soul. It sounds to me like they were actually pretty desperate at that moment in time. And in reality, I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, it was probably incredibly scary. They're in this boat. Waves are huge. It's just about to sink. They're just about to die, almost certainly. Everything is just chaos. It's nightmare. In that situation, do you want to be master of your own fate, or do you want Jesus in the boat with you? 
Okay, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. So let's just go back a little bit. So I want to talk this morning about two different storms in the Bible. Two storms. And I want to talk about how God prepares us for those storms. I want to talk about how in the storm, God may ask us to step out of the place of security in order that God can give us what he actually wants for us. And that sometimes we need to let go of the things where we're finding our own safety. So if you want a title for the preach this morning, because I know some of you like titles. Stephen Buehring likes titles. So the title of the preach this morning is going to be Two Storms. And we're going to go and look at the story in Mark. We're going to pick up there with our first point. Sailing in the sunshine. Sailing in the sunshine. Now, I'm going to make a really obvious statement. Okay? You don't often willingly set out into a storm. Okay? Now, that might sound obvious, but we need to just re- think about that just for a moment and understand. In life, if you see something ahead, financial turmoil, relationship, you know, you don't normally say, right, I'm going there. Generally speaking, in life, you like to be in a comfortable place, a pretty good place. But the reality is, most storms of life start from quite a nice, comfortable place. So we're there in our comfortable place thinking, it's nice to be master of my own fate. I'm quite happy with this. Uh, And in fact, that's kind of how it started in Mark, in a way. So the disciples, um, you know, they were feeling pretty good about the situation. It was a pretty good day. Um, Mark 4, chapter 1, if you just go back a touch, it says this. This is the, the context of that. This is before they were in the storm. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So Jesus is pulling a crowd, right? The message is going out there. The disciples are probably going, this is awesome. Like, people are hearing the message. This is, the, this is what we've come to do. This is great. And now Jesus, in the boat, says to the disciples, great, it's been a good day. Let's go over to the other side. So he'd ask them. Let's do it. So the master has called, and they're ready to answer. It's been a good day. It's easy to have faith in a moment like that. I can just imagine. In my mind's eye, I don't know about you, but I've got this, like, they're all sitting around feeling so lekker. The sun is setting over the mountain. You know how it does? Like, when the sun sets over the mountains on that side, you get the silhouette of the mountains. Yeah? It's awesome. It's like, that would, I reckon... The hills on the other side of Sea of Galilee, they're like, this is a sweet moment. So Renee and I had our own experience of something like that uh, 14 years ago. Um, We actually felt God call us to move to South Africa. And at the time, we were living really comfortably in the UK. We had good jobs. We had a nice home. We had uh, a great church that we were members of. James was two years old, very cute, winning Bonnie baby competitions. I mean, really, we were like, life was good. It was quiet evenings, calm seas. And then God told us to go over the other side of the lake. Well, 10,000 kilometers over the other side of the sea, actually. But he told us to go. And so we did as, we did as the disciples did. It, it was good, 
good going, plain sailing. God was favor was on us. Great place. Let's go. Let's set over to the side of the lake. Um, yeah, and that's how it started to unravel for the disciples. Because they did just as God told them to. They set off. I need to tell you something about the Sea of Galilee. See, the Sea of Galilee is very, very low-lying. It sits down in a, in a valley. And it has a reputation for sudden, violent storms. They weren't unusual. What would happen is the wind would come over the mountains, drop into the valley where the sea was, and it would whip up wind and waves. The waves would typically be over three meters in height. Okay, so that's taller than me. Kind of like David's height. That's tall, big. They call these a squall. That's a bit of a weird name, but that's what it was. And that is what these disciples experienced. They were in the middle of the lake, and suddenly... The waves were there, the wind was there, it was breaking over the boat, everything was chaos. So much so that the boat was in danger of being swamped. That means having more water in the boat than out the boat. And then generally, that's what happens, right? So it's going to sink. That's what's going to happen. And they are panicking. They're panicking major style, like desperately trying to keep the boat afloat. Now, at least four of the disciples were fishermen. They knew the score. They knew what was happening. They weren't you know, landlubbers. They knew they were going to sink. I can only imagine they were organizing the other ones. Get these buckets, get this, try and bail the water out, you know. All of this is happening. There's chaos as they're trying desperately to keep this boat afloat in the middle of this unexpected storm that had come upon them. And in the back of the boat, Jesus is sleeping. Just sleeping peacefully. So Jesus was sleeping in the squall, sleeping in the squall. I find it interesting. By the time that the disciples woke Jesus, and I, I often put myself in the situation of people, or try to, and think, how would I have reacted at that moment, right? So it's a bit hard in the Bible because we've got the benefit of hindsight. We know how the story ends, but they didn't. Remember that. They didn't know if they were going to sink, genuine, right? So they'd obviously been fighting the storm for a while, and then in Mark 4:38, they're so panicked. They're, they're quite rude to Jesus, I think. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's kind of like slightly passive-aggressive, isn't it? It's like, it's quite rude. It's like, don't you care? But it kind of makes sense, actually. Because, I mean, picture it. They'd all been fighting the waves, bailing the water, trying to desperately, probably trying to steer into the waves so they could ride the way. Like they're, they're losing the plot over this. And Jesus is just sleeping. He's not helping. He's not bailing the boat. Sometimes I think it's the same for us. Storms come at us. Life comes at us. Challenges come at us. Sometimes it's as simple as the world comes and brings its nonsense. We know what God has called us to, but we don't feel like we can get there just because everything is coming at us. In those moments, what's our boat? What is the thing that we're desperately trying to bail out to stay afloat? We're looking to whatever it is that we have for security in life. That's what we're doing. And we're trying desperately to keep that boat afloat in the storm. 
wealth, health, happiness. It can even be as simple as the comfortable place that we like to stand because this is where our safety and security is. And we know that if we step out of this place, it's going to be uncomfortable for us. The world tells us that this boat of our security, we cannot let it sink. You cannot let that sink. You've got to keep your wealth, your health, your happiness. You've got to keep it all afloat. Some churches will tell you that you've got to keep it afloat. They'll promise you, that is what God wants for you, we want for you. Keep your boat afloat. So we start bailing it out. We talk to our friends, help us bail our boat out. So we arrived 14 years ago from the UK. Everything started off fine here. Sunset, nice, settled, calm seas. Within a week, we were in Josh Jen of arriving. I'd started a company with my new business partner. And initially, for the first year or so, it was pretty good. We sailed out into the lake. Yeah. Um, then I ran into a bit of a problem. You see, I came here to start a company selling e-commerce software from Sweden. The problem was that the stuff that I was selling in Europe, people here didn't know what to do with it. So what happened is that we started struggling financially. My company started struggling. Every deal we made, I was taking that money and I was saying, this is not going well. I need to bail out the boat. So all the money we made, we were plowing back into the company, trying to keep it afloat. Every deal, every cent we could make. I wasn't even taking much salary. I was taking money out of my bond in the UK to bring here to help just try and keep this, you know, we need to bail this company. I've got to keep it afloat. We left no stone unturned. But this weird thing happened. The more I tried to bail the boat of my company out, the more silent Jesus seemed. I was wanting answers. Because you know what? I knew that like that, he could have brought in any number of fat deals. I could have had corporates banging the door down. And I used to say to people, it's okay, God's got it. God's bigger than my company. He'll bring the deals. He'll make the bucks. But it never happened. It got to the point where eventually I had to get work immediately or consider drastic options. And let me tell you how drastic the options were. <laughs> my visa was tied to my company. I couldn't work for anyone else. So if my company didn't stay afloat, potentially we would be on a plane back to the UK. So it was not a good situation, and eventually I had to do as the disciples did, <laughs> I had to shake Jesus to wake him. I had to say, look, don't you care if we drown? And then there was stillness as he spoke. Stillness as he spoke. You see, the disciples on that boat, they'd reached desperation. They were at the end of themselves. They'd got nothing left. They woke Jesus and they begged him to help. Have a think about this, though. What do you think they were asking Jesus to do? Because bear in mind, they didn't know how the story ended. 
right? We don't know what their mind process was, but I kind of get the impression that they know he's kind of powerful, they know that he can do stuff, but they wake him, maybe they actually wanted him to pick up a bucket and start bailing, or to somehow empty the water out the boat, or make them float better, or something. We don't know what they're asking for. But you can see that they were like, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? They were so frustrated that he could sleep, and whilst they were messing around with everything, he was doing nothing. They didn't understand. But what does he do? Mark 4, 39 to 41 says this. He, that is Jesus, got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, sorry, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to your disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you get this? They were terrified at what happened. In other words, that is not what they expected. They didn't expect the storm to stop. (laughs) They just expected their boat to be okay. But they were terrified at the power of God. They were terrified at the storm they were in. And then they were terrified at the power of the one that could stop the storm. Seems like they spent a lot of time being terrified. In my storm, I was desperately trying to bring the business in. I was honestly, I was sacrificing more than I should. I was sacrificing time with my family. It was chaos. And eventually I said to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus said to me, okay, give up your company. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. He was supposed to help my company, not ask me to give it up. So I said, okay, if I'm going to give up this dream I have of building this company, you're going to have to make a way. So Jesus said, okay. A business partner called me out the blue and said, we've got some overseas work that we need a consultant for. And because we know you, we'd like you, and we know you're on a visa, so can we actually pay you as a contractor through your company to come work for us for two years? You'll have to put your company on the back burner because you'll work for us. But it means your visa will work. Can you come work for us for two years and help us? So I sold mobile phone billing systems into the DRC in Albania and all kind of random places in the world for two years. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but you know what it did? It created stillness. Because I was no longer master of my own destiny. God didn't help my boat. My boat sunk for two years. Then he refloated it, and it was okay after that. But for two years, my boat had to sink so that he could calm the storm and bring me through. I think for all of us, When we're in a storm, sometimes the way that God works is not the way we want him to work or think he will. (laughs) We ask him to fix our, our security, but he's got bigger plans. So it's wonderful to have Jesus in the boat with us, to be able to ask him, Jesus, I'm drowning, help me. And there are times when God will take us through those journeys where we'll learn to not trust in the boat and trust in Jesus who's in the boat with us. But then, once we've learned that lesson, I'm afraid that there's another storm coming. Sorry, but it's true. But I'm going to encourage you that there's an answer in this one too. You see, sometimes 
Jesus may not be in the boat with us at all. And I'll explain what I mean. Sometimes Jesus says, okay, you've been through one storm when I was in the boat with you. Now I'm sending you solo. I'm going to send you solo where you're going to have to rely on me in a different way. So shortly after the calming of the storm, it was probably only a a few weeks. We have the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not going to talk about that. You all know it, right? You all know the feeding of the 5,000 story? Yes? Okay. All right. So you get the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus multiplies food, etc., feeds all these people. That's wonderful. So there's a whole faith thing there. It's like, wow, they've been saved from the storm. They've had the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen what God can do. This awesome power of the creator of the universe. And let's pick up the story in Mark 6, 45 to 47. This is just two chapters later. Immediately, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. If there's ever a setup in the Bible, this is it, right? You see where this is going, can't you, right? So understand, this time Jesus is not in the boat because the last time they took him as he was in the boat. This time Jesus says, go ahead. I've got business here. I want you to go on alone without me. And so it goes out, and the boat is in the middle of the lake. The middle of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee that's in a valley that gets lots of storms very regularly. Uh, Guess what happens? So the wind comes up, so much so that they're stuck in the middle of the sea, and they physically can't make it any further. So they're rowing into the wind. The storm is coming. They're not moving. They're just staying where they are. Everything is going crazy. We don't know how long it is exactly, but if you read the biblical accounts, it's probably at least several hours. Several hours that they are on their own, fighting the storm in the middle of the lake, and Jesus is not with them this time. So what do they do? And sometimes I think we're in storms like that. Sometimes it feels not like as if Jesus is peacefully sleeping in the corner of the boat. Sometimes it feels like Jesus isn't in the boat at all. When we cry out, when we pray, we just don't seem to be getting an answer. There seems to be silence that's answering us. We're left rowing against the storm. And we can't see any hope that things are going to improve. And I'm being real. Have you ever experienced that, where you feel like you're in a storm and you're rowing, and you feel like God is not answering? I know I have. My encouragement is that what we perceive to be reality is not reality, and I'm going to show you why from Scripture. Mark 6, 48 to 50 says this. He, that is Jesus, saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Again, terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So just to set the scene here, Jesus is on the land looking out over the sea, right? 
And in the middle of the sea, there's this little boat. And probably, if you look at the size of the Sea of Galilee, that was probably about five or six kilometers. So um, one thing we can learn about Jesus from this passage, he's got better eyesight than I do. So anyway, he's looking out over the lake, and he sees this disciple struggling against the storm. Now, here's a question. Do you think when Jesus said, go over there without me, do you think Jesus knew a storm was coming? Yeah, of course he did. He's God. He's the master of the wind and waves. He knew the storm was coming. But he sent them anyway. He sent them anyway because he wanted them to learn something. Last time he'd been in the boat. This time he sent them ahead. But he was still watching them. His eyes were still on them. He was still guarding over them. He was still protecting them. But he wanted to increase their level of faith. From a a God that was with them in the boat to a God they could not see, but was still watching over them. Jesus didn't actually go straight to them. They were struggling for several hours. I don't know what Jesus was thinking when he watched them, but he let them struggle for a while. Shortly before dawn, he goes out to them. In fact, he doesn't even go to them. He makes as if to go past them. I think just to make the point, like, do you get it yet? Hello, I'm here. You, right? He's really kind of making the point. I'm, I'm here. Hello. They see him. Where is their faith to be found? If you're in that place where you're fighting a storm and you feel like Jesus isn't there, be aware he is watching over you. He knows when you're struggling at those oars. And he is waiting for the moment that he can walk out to you, show himself to you, so that you see him for who he really is. He knows something. When the time is right and he presents himself to you, you be willing to find yourselves stepping into the storm. Stepping into the storm. You see, even though the disciples were terrified in this moment, they knew that Jesus could calm the storm. They knew that. But he hadn't done in this case. They see Jesus walking past. I kind of think, what would their natural reaction have been? For me, I know what I would have done. My first thought, if I saw Jesus and I'm like, you know, he says, don't be afraid, it's me. My first thought would be, Jesus, do what you did last time. Calm the storm, please, we're going to drown. That would be my go-to, I'll be honest. I'd be like, great, you're here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God, quite literally, you're here. Okay, storm, same again, please repeat. Thank you, golden. But that isn't quite what happened. Because someone had had a faith lesson, and they'd started to learn. Matthew, I'm going to skip to Matthew's account. It's the same story in Matthew. I'm just changing books. Um, So Matthew 14, 25 to 29 says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, calm the storm. No. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Understand something. The storm was still going. This moment of Peter stepping out into faith was even bigger than you realize it to be. When I was little, I had this picture in my mind, because I didn't know the story that well, of this boat on a classic park lake, and you know, and Peter just gently walking across these little ripples, going, wow, I can walk on water. And that was this picture I had. No, it wasn't like that. There was a proper storm happening that they'd been fighting for hours. And yet Peter's thought was, I'm going to walk out in faith. If that's you, tell me to come to you. When we find ourselves in our storms, when we find ourselves challenged by things that we don't feel that we are equipped to deal with, when we feel like we're rowing hard against the the, the tide and against the wind, Do we have the faith to say to God, not fix my boat, not to say, listen, my wealth, my health, my finances, my relationships, Lord, fix that. Do we have the faith not to say that? Do we have the faith not even to say, Jesus, calm the storm? Do we have the faith to say, Jesus, I want to go where you are. And I don't care if the storm rages around me. I want to be with you. I want to fix my eyes on you, step out of my comfort zone, step out of my boat, and go to where you are. Because this is what Jesus does. He takes us of one level of faith to another. And he's gracious. And to start with, he'll be there for us. But he's going to ask us for more as our faith grows. Simon Peter steps out the boat, goes towards Jesus. Matthew 14, 30 to 31 says this. But when he, yeah, when he, that is Simon Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind finally died down. I imagine Peter could swim. I mean, Simon Peter was a fisherman, so it's good chance. But even in that, he took his eyes off Jesus for a moment. And a lot of people focus on that thing, like keep your eyes on Jesus. I want us to focus on another part of that story. He did take his eyes off Jesus. And you know what? We all will. (laughs) Because we do. We're human. When we realize the storm around us, there are times we'll take our eyes off Jesus. You know what Jesus did? Reached out and caught him. That's the Savior we have. So yes, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, but don't be afraid to step out the boat because Jesus will catch us. He rewards our faith when we go to him. He'll reach out and meet us where we are. He knows our weaknesses, but he will reach out for us. So let's finish up this morning. I'm just going to land it by talking about keeping our sight on the Savior, keeping our sight on the Savior. So we started off with the words of that Invictus poem, master of my own fate, captain of my own soul, you know. And I think, realistically, those of us who've actually tried that in life have figured out that ain't working so well. 
It doesn't. We can try and find this boat of ours, and we can try and make it strong to withstand the storms, but we all know when the real storms come, it's going to sink. Rather, our faith should be in God himself. Are we asking to God to restore those things that we have faith in, or are we asking God to restore our faith in him? Are we asking God to restore to us the faith, the things that we have faith in, or are we asking God to restore faith in him rather than the things? And here's another question. Are we asking God to restore our faith in him even if the boat sinks? Because here's the root truth. If that boat did sink with all the disciples on, they served a God who could make them walk on water. I'm just saying. Was it ever about the boat? In his storm, Job put it this way. This is Job 13, 15 to 16. Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. In other words, he's saying his trust is in God, not even in his life or his health. It didn't matter. His trust is in God and God alone for deliverance. See, the truth is we can't save ourselves. We're going to need faith. He's going to ask us for more faith. He's going to grow us in faith. But the beautiful thing is this. As we grow in faith, as we learn more about our Jesus, our Savior, we are more able to step out into the storm and meet with Jesus. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit to be with us through every storm of life. We will experience more of the Spirit as we let go of the boat. And that's my challenge to all of us this morning. Let go of the boat and lay hold of the Spirit. Let go of the corner. Come into the middle and stand in the middle of the big people. Because honestly, even in that, and I really mean this for today, God will find you in a way here that you would never experience if you're in your boat there where you're relying on other things for security. And that's just a little example for something that every single one of us needs to experience. And there's a reward in this when we finally let go of those things that can't save us and rely on the one that can save us. Isaiah 26, 3 to 4 says this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. The truth is this. There is peace in the storm when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the only one who can truly save us. When we were in worship, Trev actually came to Nardis and I and said that he felt that there was a, not just a spoken act, but there needs to be a physical act of actually committing ourselves to God. So what I'm going to do is this. Um, can I get the worship team up just 
What I'd like to do is I'd like to sing just one song of response to Jesus. Because I think as we finish this morning, I want our eyes to be fixed on him. We all came here with a circumstance. We all came here with a situation. Some of us may have come here this morning with a situation that we felt was about to swamp us. Maybe we came here with a boat that we thought was going to be about to sink. I want us to leave this morning not worrying about that boat anymore, but fixing our eyes on Jesus. Yes, he can calm the storm. Yes, he can come. He can repair that boat we're in. He can restore us. He can restore our finances, our health. He can do all those things. But our faith is not found in those things. It's found in the one I want to fix our eyes on. We should fix our eyes on. Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask for an action this morning. What I'm going to do, I'd just like the worship team just to sing one more song over us, or with us. But I want to ask us, if you are ready to step out of your boat and fix your eyes on Jesus... Step out your chair and come to the front. And what I mean is this. Come to the front. Come right to the front and give your praise. We do that. Okay. Step out of your boats and come to the front and let's just worship Jesus.